This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, Last week, when we kicked off this series, we started by talking about food. Um, So is everyone okay if we talk about food again this week? Which... We should be, because this is like the food season. This is the whole season of food. Uh, But really quick, let me share a story with you. I grew up in a single-parent house. So my mom really worked hard, and she had one rule when it came to food. Don't waste food. Clean your plate. And some of you may have parents who had that, like, eat everything on the plate type of rule. Um, We went to my grandmother's house one time, and my grandmother had some guests over, And so we wanted to hang out with all the guests and all that stuff in the living room, but we had to finish our food. Clean your plate, don't waste food. Except she was serving, my grandmother served, the one food, well, one of maybe two foods that I just, I'm not a picky eater. I mean, if it's not moving, I'll try it. But she served Brussels sprouts, which I don't have a Bible verse for it, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to be in heaven. And if I, I think the reason why they're not even included, like in the book of Leviticus where it says, thou shall not eat, thou shall not eat, thou shall not eat. I think God didn't put Brussels sprouts because he was like, no one's going to eat these. I don't have to worry about it. I don't know why people are eating these. But she served Brussels sprouts. And my sister and my brother, they finished all their food. They went. I could hear everyone laughing in the living room. And I'm standing there looking at this plate of Brussels sprouts. So me, your pastor, super genius, decides I'm going to put them in my sister's shoes that she had kicked off under the kitchen table because, because I thought if I put them in the garbage, somebody might find them. So in my wisdom thought, I'll put them in her shoes. I put them in her shoes. I go in the living room. You know, my grandmother comes in, cleans all the dishes and all that stuff. Uh, Everyone's hanging out. We're having a good time. At the end of the night, somehow, I don't know why I didn't think of this. I was like nine or ten. End of the night, my sister goes to put her shoes on, and she screams as if she's being chased by a pack of wolves. So, of course, I get found out, and my mother, she, she already had made me aware of the consequences of wasting food. And they were painful. And she didn't give me a speech about, you know, this is going to hurt you more than me. She didn't give a, you knew better. She just literally snatched me up 
and gave me my painful consequences. Because the reality is there are consequences for actions when we disobey, whether they're rules we agree with or laws or the commands of God. There are consequences, whether we like it or not. So we've been walking through the book of uh, Lamentations, right? And one of the overarching things that Jeremiah, the prophet who wrote this, is getting across is there are very real physical and spiritual consequences for our sins. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we believe in God or not, there are actual consequences for our sins. Now, Jeremiah, Prophet Jeremiah, uh, spent over 40 years preaching to the nation of Israel that, hey, there are going to be consequences for our sins. God is going to come in and he's going to destroy this nation if we don't get right with him. I think it was close to 45 years over and over and over. And if you read through the book of Jeremiah, it's like almost 50 or a little over 50 chapters of him preaching and, and God saying, go tell them this, go tell them that, go tell them this. And him going to the people saying, you know, there are consequences for our sin. God's going to destroy us for our sin. God's going to take away this nation from us if we don't turn from our sins. And the people didn't listen. So he writes the book of Lamentations after he watched the nation of Israel deal with the consequences of their sin. And I shared this picture last week. Uh, uh, um, Jewish tradition, right? Historians from uh, Jewish say that when Jeremiah escaped the destruction of the nation of Israel, he went into a little cave. I don't know if you could see it over on the right-hand side. It's called Jeremiah's Grotto. And he sat in that cave and he watched the city of Jerusalem burn to the ground. And then he pours out in the book of Lamentations all of this anguish and pain and regret he feels over watching the people deal with the consequences of their sin. Now, centuries later, on top of that hill, it's called Golgotha. It's Calvary. It's where Christ was crucified. So centuries later, Jesus would be crucified on top of that hill to pay the penalty for the sins of all humanity. And the book that we're going through is literally Jeremiah giving us the very real personal reflections of him having to watch the people deal with the consequences of their sins. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Lamentations chapter 2. And the whole book is only about five chapters. And, and, and if you take the time to read this book on your own, this is not one of the books that everyone's like, oh my gosh, have you read the book of Lamentations? It's like so good. There aren't Bible studies about it because it's just painful reflections about the consequences of sin. So in chapter 2, uh, this is what he says. Chapter 2, verse 1, how the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger, his anger not at the people, but at the sin and what it has brought to them. He's hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool. And the word footstool, uh, initially King David used the word footstool. As, we think of a footstool as something you put your dirty feet up on and you know, clip your toenails on. That's not what it was. 
right? The idea was you'd be able to put up your feet and then be at rest because David used it when he was talking about building a temple for God so that God would have a place to just rest and dwell with the people. And then Isaiah used it later and said, it's not just the temple. God desires that for the whole earth to be his footstool, to be a place where he can rest and dwell with humanity. In verse 2, it says, Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. Israel was honored among the nations because of all the blessings of God in their relationship with God. Now they were a mockery among the nations because of their sin. Right? Uh, Jump over to verse 7. Verse 7, it says this, The Lord has rejected his altar, abandoned his sanctuary, and has handed over to the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed feast. And the people were celebrating that they finally were able to bring down the nation of Israel. And the sins of the people made the sanctuary a place where God said, hey, I can't dwell there anymore because our sins separate us from God. And the sins of the people, we talked a little bit about it last week, they were so many, uh, not just that they were worshiping other gods, but they were abusing children, killing children, sacrificing children to other gods. They were robbing the poor. It's not just ignoring the poor. They were robbing from the poor. They were withholding from the poor. They weren't helping the needy. They were abusing women. And God said, hey, if that's who you want to be as a nation, I'm out. I cannot be a part of that anymore. Jump over to verse 9. It says, Her gates have sunken to the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more because of the broken covenant. And her prophets no longer find vision from the Lord. Now, here's the thing. If the visions from the prophets weren't from God, who were they from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jump down to verse 14. It says, The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin, which is what the Word of God is supposed to do. I know, a lot of people like the messages that like make me feel good, tell me that I'm enough, tell me that I'm blessed, tell me that I'm God's favorite, all of that stuff. But what the Word of God does is expose, here's where you don't measure up to God, but here's how you can by just accepting his love and his goodness and grace, and then turn around and treat other people the same way that God just treated you. That's what the word of God is supposed to do, right? It says the oracles they gave you were false and misleading. And, and, and I know some of you are probably tired of hearing me talk about false teaching. But it's throughout the Bible, just a couple of the books that talk about false teaching. And these are just a few of the ones that we have gone through in like the last 18 months. First Corinthians, over and over, talk about false teaching. First Peter talks about false teaching. First Timothy talks about false teaching. Titus, the book of Titus was written, we just went through that, so that Titus could refute the false teaching that was going on in the church over and over and over. And we're not teaching through it, and I, I, it's been like 10 years since I taught through it on a Sunday, but on Tuesday nights... Mark is walking through the book of Revelation. And, and uh, last Tuesday, we went through the letters that Jesus dictated and said, send these to the churches. And to two of the churches, 
The problems that he found were false teachings. Uh, the first one was the church in Pergamum. And in chapter 2, uh, after he says, hey, you know what? You didn't renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas when people killed him. You stayed strong. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. So Balaam was supposedly a prophet of God. God did speak to him. Balak was the king of Moab and said, I want to hire you to curse the Israelites so they don't take over my land. Balaam said, I can only speak what God allows. God won't let me curse the people. But if you really want to bring the people down, don't worry about cursing them. He said, Balak, what you need to do is entice them to sin by eating food sacrificed to gods and committing sexual immorality. And in the very next letter to the church at Thyatira, here's what he says. He says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service. All of that is good. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, and by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality in the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Jesus calls out two churches, two congregations, for false teaching. And here's the thing, because we look and we say, well, you know, eating food sacrificed to idols, is that really a sin today? Right? If someone uh, takes a cow uh, and, and, and they worship cows, and then they slice it up and sell it to the butcher, and I eat it, am I sinning? That, that's not exactly what it is. However, years before, in the early church, uh, the culture was predominantly Jewish. But when it expanded to non-Jewish people, they said, hey, all of these Jewish rules, like all of your festivals and that stuff, that has nothing to do with us worshiping Jesus. So we don't want to do all that stuff. So they got together, and James, the brother of Jesus, put together a letter, and this is what he writes in the book of Acts. James wrote in Acts 15, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, and now we know also to Jesus, because Jesus just talked about this, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. This is going to be the, the mandate for how the New Testament church is supposed to act. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And it's not that the food sacrificed to idols and blood and the meat of strangled animals, not that that's causing you to sin, but culturally, the Jews believed it was wrong, and so they didn't do it. And so they stayed away from it. If you start eating it, then you can't fellowship with them. So if you stay away from it, and they stay away from it, then you're able to fellowship. Because the two biggest things that the enemy does to attack the church is what divide us, preventing us from fellowshipping together, and sexual immorality, preventing us from fellowshipping with God. Over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Unity, anything that, 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 that brings us together, all good. Anything that divides us, all bad. All right, so, uh, sorry, 
Let me jump back down into the book of Lamentations, verse 17. He says this, The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He's let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. And what, what Jeremiah is writing, when he was preaching this for 40 years, it's not just he was preaching it because God was telling it to him right then, although God was. He was preaching it because As he said from long ago, God said, hey, if you disobey, this is what's going to happen. So uh, jumping back, we went through the book of um, Genesis years ago, Exodus earlier this year, but we haven't gone through the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, there's a new generation of people getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And so Moses stands with the people, and Deuteronomy literally means the second giving, and he reiterates the law to them. And this is what he tells them. This is what he tells to the kind of like the baby nation of Israel. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth, meaning you'll be honored by them, they will look up to you. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. And the next 12 verses are blessing after blessing, your finances, your family, your crops, your fields, your businesses, your enemies will be kept at bay. All of these blessings will come upon you if you obey God. But he also says in verse 15, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. Overtake you meaning you won't be able to escape them. And the next 28 verses, more than double the amount of blessings, are listing of here are the consequences for your sins if you disobey God including, and this is an important one, this one that he lists in verse 25. He says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on the earth. Which is literally what happened. Right? Nation of Israel was destroyed. And and last week we talked about they were destroyed because they disobeyed God. That is the only reason. Now, here's the thing. We, New Testament church, we're not bound by that covenant from Deuteronomy, right? That's a covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. So we're not technically bound by that. But we, as Christians today, do have a covenant with God, right? So in the book of Matthew... This is what Jesus says while they were eating, and a lot of guys, a lot of you are familiar with this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we. New Testament Christians, we today, if you're a Christ follower, we are in a covenantal relationship with God. Now, God fulfilled his part by shedding his blood to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, as an individual Christian, 
God doesn't expect much from us. Just that we love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. Love our neighbors as ourselves. That's it. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, whatever you want to say there. That's all we have to do. Love God, love others. As individuals, that's all God expects from us. But as the body of Christ, we have another mandate. As the church at large. So this is what Jesus says a few chapters later. Jesus came to them, meaning the apostles, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? Jesus makes it crystal clear. This is his charge to the church. As an individual, all you have to do is is love God and love others. But as the body of Christ, we're supposed to go, first and foremost, which means we're not, our focus isn't supposed to be bringing people into a building. Our focus is sending people out of the building into homes and communities, and we're supposed to make disciples. Making a disciple means we equip other people to be like Jesus so they can talk like Jesus talked. They can respond to things the way Jesus responded. Instead of me responding in my anger, I respond with the love of Christ so we can do the type of things that Jesus did to help and to love others. And we're supposed to do it of all nations, not just the people that look like us or think like us. And I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say that, but that's throughout the Bible as well. And he says, we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And baptism is, is, is it doesn't make you a Christian to get baptized. Just like when, when you got married, those of you who married, when you got married, that didn't make you all of a sudden love your spouse. If it did, talk to me later. I do marriage counseling. But when you got married, it was a public ceremony to declare the love that you already had for one another. That's what the marriage ceremony is. It's a celebration, and that's what baptism is. It's a public ceremony proclaiming, yeah, I am God's. Right? And then we are supposed to teach people, which is why we have so many Bible studies across the, uh, for, for, for uh, women. We have uh, the Tuesday night one. We have all kind of stuff going on so that we can equip people because we're supposed to teach them, and this is important, to obey everything that Jesus commanded because there are very real consequences for our sins. We wouldn't say that if the Bible didn't command us to teach people that. So as we, uh, as we close, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And uh, yeah, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And uh, we're going to sing one more song. But before we do, again, as we said earlier, I want you to think about people in your life. Not, not just people uh, that you can invite to a Sunday celebration. That's great when you invite people here. But people who you can go to who are maybe struggling financially, who may be struggling because of all the craziness going on in our world, and you can share with them about the love of Christ. People who you can help overcome their burdens. People who you can help overcome their struggles. 
people who desperately need to know that there is a God who loves them and sent his son to die for them. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we lift up these people that you're putting on our hearts right now. And we don't want to just stand here and pray for them and then walk out of these doors and forget about them. We pray through your Holy Spirit that you would encourage us to reach out to them, not just to invite them to a Sunday celebration, but to share the love of Christ with them, to show the love of Christ to them with our words and our actions, and then as your Holy Spirit leads, to invite them to be a part of your kingdom and experience your love, your goodness and grace and mercy. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.